Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I'm thrilled that my guest today is Gillian Jacobs, an incredibly accomplished uh, actor and a director and uh, a really good writer too, having read essays that you've written. And uh, someone who was a crucial, a key part of one of the longest and most challenging nights of shooting I ever had in my life. Gillian, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> you just took me right back. <laughs> well, the, I, I want to say like, it was so meaningful to me. And Dave, you know, you you hadn't yet, Community hadn't been on yet, but you had done the Chuck Palahniuk movie and came in to audition for a part that went another way. And I remember though say you know dave and i were both like that woman was so good and she would be so great and like we asked you to do this small part and we were so thrilled when you came to do it uh which required you to insult michael douglas basically <laughs> and uh uh i i've always wondered like why'd you decide what made you do it was it the idea that you knew you'd play scene with michael douglas I loved the script. I thought it was such a great script. And then obviously, yes, Michael Douglas. But I mean, you had such a stacked cast in that movie. It wasn't just Michael Douglas. I felt like every part in that movie, you you had an incredible actor and I loved the script. And I thought it was a funny scene with some good jokes. Yeah, well, your timing, you know, your comic timing was so good. And I remember, I want to get there and talk about it, but I remember when you got Community and then when you blew up, just being, completely not surprised. And that had happened one other time. Dave and I cast Jenna Fisher in a one-line part in a pilot we did like four years before The Office. And she killed it and we stayed friendly. And that's why Jenna's, Jenna has a lead role in Solitary yeah. Man. And then one of the reasons was like, we had, when she did this one line for us, we were like, you're gonna be successful. It's like, we could just tell. I'm sure you've seen this now too, as you've helped, but you know, become a producer or a director or been involved in stuff. Sometimes you really can feel it when someone just does a couple of lines. You could feel like, oh, they have the press. They they have it, right? Absolutely, yes. You can feel it, and um, there are so many people, yes, that I'm totally unsurprised by their success. <laughs> and I mean, Jesse Eisenberg. There, I mean, the cast in that movie was phenomenal. I had a great night. Um, it was it was also fun. Yeah, I dyed my hair for the <laughs> Yeah, we had to ask you to chat right. Yeah. That was the big question because the character's supposed to have hair like Anne Bancroft. Yeah. In, in the, the graduate. graduate, I think. Yeah. Yep. And uh and I remember we were like, oh, can we ask her to do this even though she's just coming in for a night? But you were so delightful and so prepared and so ready to play. And and uh it's funny when you make something with people you feel connected to them for such a long time after. Uh, I remember you did my sister's radio show and she was like, do you know her? And I was like, I don't really know her, but I really like her because <laughs> like we did this thing together and I feel very friendly, you know? So uh, it, it, yeah, that that was a really hard night. I mean, we had to work like 18 hours because we had like one night in that spot, but uh, but we all came through it really well somehow. I don't I even remember it as that hard of a night. <laughs> I don't know what that said about the, the projects I've done since that that doesn't even <laughs> Well, because I think you were gone. You might have been like- Yeah, I might have had easy in and out. And you might have been able to leave, but then we had to shoot like, all I remember is it being like 4 a.m. Mm. and having to sit on a couch. 
and like someone has to walk by Michael's on the couch, like doing bong hits or something. And Jesse's next to him and this character. And I just remember being like, I can't believe we're still, I can't believe we're still here, but all right, enough about solitary man, though people at home go see Gillian in an early role. If you're a fan, I mean, you know, her from community and from love and from, uh, at this point, you know, just, just nonstop work being on your television and movie screens and from her podcast that's coming back in july is that right no that's not right the podcast is done oh i mean sol um blood ties is coming back um but my periodic talks is sadly done oh on uh, itunes it says it's on podcast it says it's like coming back for the next season or something they lied <laughs> oh, but I'm i'd sorry. love for people to listen to it I'm, I'm proud of what we did so it's still available to listen to we're just not making any more of it go check it out it's about stem and uh it's uh trying to make stem understandable and fun and uh, for someone like me who's completely not a stem person really good i really enjoyed the episodes that i heard and i was going to connect you to some people i'm sad that oh, it's over please do still though because i mean it's it's a sort of ongoing interest of mine so i'd love to meet anyone you you think of in that world well there's an actor are you friendly with the actor carrie bechet do you know her I don't know her or we've maybe met once, but you're not the first person to to suggest that she and I would get along. I am going to make the okay. I am actually after this. <laughs> yes. I, I am going to introduce the two of you because you're best friends. Awesome. So you need to know each other. She's <laughs> she's like just one of the flat out smartest people you're ever going to meet. And, you know, people don't at this, you know, from afar, people constantly don't know. And then the, but the second like you, the second you talk to her, you're like, oh, that is a very smart person and she's she's super stem literate and like does projects regarding this you guys need to know okay know great perfect i'll i'll make that she did this you go she did an episode of this pod like four years ago and uh we've been friends a long time but you would you would like it she gets into in, into it so gillian there's a lot of stuff i want to get into i guess i here's something i'm curious about you're a really good writer and is that something that you pursue privately like do you have screenplays that you work on do you have a memoir that you're writing uh, like a proper memoir because uh, a lot of people write those kind of little personal essays but uh yours you're very good at it so what, what t tell me is it does it matter to you uh no i i mean that means so much to me you saying that um i have written other personal essays that i have not done anything with um i sort of yeah i had a period of time where i wrote a couple of them and then i kind of shifted into doing more interviewing especially with um directing documentaries so i i could definitely see myself getting back to that um but i had a lot of fun writing those essays um and it, it, it really, truly did sort of like uh, lead to self-discovery. So it was like meaningful for me in my life too. Well, that's one of the best things about the personal essay form. Like if you do it right and you find, you start thinking you're writing about one thing and it's somewhere in the middle, you, you do start to make these uh, connections and stuff synthesize and then you do come out going oh that's the thing i've been thinking about mm -hmm. or that's a relationship i need to deal with in, in some way so did you find yourself getting lost in it in the same way that you get lost in acting um i think different because 
I mean, look, I still have so much to learn about acting, but I feel like I have a baseline proficiency. But with when it comes to writing, I still feel like I'm learning so much. So um, very different. But I had great experiences with editors um, and that was really helpful. And they were very good at like pushing me to get more specific or go deeper. And so um, that that I felt like the notes process with it was really when I started uh, going beyond sort of the the surface level narrative I had about my own life. That was, that was it got interesting, you know, their follow up questions where I was like, oh, maybe I have to revisit uh, this story that I've told about myself. So you were really open in the notes process, huh? Meaning you don't find yourself becoming defensive. No, I like notes as an actor and I like notes as a director. I mean, I don't always agree with every note that I get, but I, I like them because it's, you know, I, I just take it as like, okay, there's something there that can be improved. Um, maybe it's not exactly what this person is suggesting, but there's like, there's, there's room for improvement here. I, yeah, I love talking to actors about this because, you know, the feedback as a, as a writer or as a uh, showrunner, you can absorb feedback and then go play for a while to get to your solution. You could also go blow off steam, but like actors have to absorb feedback so quickly mm -hmm. uh and not let it get them not allow it to tense them up because you yes. can't work and then have to be able to produce results i've read obviously what you wrote about juilliard i've also i also talked to you about juilliard a little bit and i heard an interview you once gave about it but for those who don't know uh, you had a challenging time and one of the reasons was the way in which they spoke to you um mm -hmm. and i'm I'm not going to draw a line and say, well, that prepared you to take notes. I don't think it, it does that kind of talk. But what I, I do wonder is how you've gotten yourself in a, to a place where you can be loose and easy and free and able to stay playful with the character while taking feedback on board. Like, is that a, a, a trained thing or is that natural thing? I think you get better at it, but it's also just, I feel like for me, it's having the correct attitude towards it, which is that like, um, as much as I've thought about a scene or a character, there might be other things or layers of it or components of the story that I haven't thought about. Um, or there might be a different meaning behind the line that the writer intended that I didn't get when I read it. So I feel very open to like, it can always be better, not, you know, my first take is the best it can be. So um, I, you know, even sometimes when it's, there have been times when I've been given a note that I didn't think was very good at all, but I decided just to try it and it opened up something new and unexpected. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to remain open to notes because you don't know, like you can get in habits as an actor, you know, and yeah, sometimes somebody um, giving you direction that feels very outside of what you normally do can lead to something cool and different. So I think it's about just having the attitude of um, it's not they're not like telling me I'm terrible. Um, and I think when you're starting out, it's easy to feel like your job security is so precarious. And I think yeah, some people, sure. you know, like, so I think it's easy when you're starting out to think like, I'm getting notes, they're going to fire me, they're not happy with me. But I think I can see now, okay, that you did that, that's one attack. But what about this? Or what about that? Or don't forget, this is where you are in the arc of this story, layer that in. So that's, that's how I try to see it.
Well, yeah, and, and from the other side of it too, and you've directed, so you know this from the other side of it, sometimes you know exactly what it is that you need, you know just how you're gonna cut the scene. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you kind of have a feeling and sometimes it's not intellectual at all. And then you're just trying to, uh, something in it is like, if I move on, I don't quite have the magical thing. And you're just trying to say anything to get it to happen one more time in the hopes that the thing will just happen. Yeah. And you don't know always, even the best or I've been around, you know, some of the directors people would think of as the greatest in the world. And like, sometimes it's just a conversation to try to mm-hmm. get to another place. But but um but if you say the wrong thing in our position, you can freeze somebody, and it's the last thing you want because you're trying to hope everybody just approaches it with curiosity and openness and doesn't feel judged. That's like one of the fun but really challenging things about what we all do, don't you think? Yeah, totally. I mean, and certainly there have been times when I've been given a piece of direction that made me feel self conscious or embarrassed or like I was doing a bad job, and so you know, not to say that I'm all I've only been like amazing at taking notes my whole career, but I do think overall I've gotten to a place where. Even if says somebody says something that kind of hurts my feeling, I try and like step back and you know what I mean? Um, not punish them or the scene by like <laughs> shutting down around it. Yeah, don't shut down. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I've read about your childhood a bit. You've been open about your childhood and certain challenges related to it. And I'm wondering if in some ways, like, you know, I'm sure you've read the drama of The Gifted Child by Alice Miller. People have mentioned it to you in your life. If I you have not read it. read it. No, I, once again, you were giving me a good uh, work list after today's podcast. No, but, but you know, you obviously, I read that thing you said where, where you said that, you know, uh, even at the age of two, you just, or three, you just wanted things to be peaceful between your parents. And that was kind of yeah. like your job. But uh, being in that role requires somebody to, in certain ways, grow up really fast. And then in other ways, you never get the chance to go through all the stages required to grow up, right? You, you see the outer aspect of it in lots of ways. You're nodding, which the people can't hear, but you're <laughs> I'm vigorously it, right? nodding, yes. <laughs> vigorously nodding. But So what are the pros and cons in terms of then living in a life that requires you to kind of live in your imagination mm-hmm. with having those experiences? Like, do you think that it set you up in a way for the uh, neediness and insecurities Mm -hmm. and ability to kind of like trust yourself that this career requires. Yeah, I think that um, it did make me maybe take on more of like a mediator um, partner to my mother, not parent-child dynamic, yeah, um, yeah. which I think in some ways, yes, exactly what you're saying has served me well in life. And then in other ways, like, you're like, but I just want a mommy. And then you're like, yeah. I'm too old for that. <laughs> that. That window of time has passed. Um, so, oh my God, it's so heartbreaking. By the way, just can I just for a moment hear you and say it's heartbreaking still to hear, hear you say that. I'm so yeah. like, because you're not too old to want to have like, an unconditional sort of love like that, by the way. You're allowed to still want that. A, yeah. a strong and unconditional sort of like protective love. Like you, one can still want that, I think. Yeah, yeah but then I, I'm like, I'm also, you know, uh, been like, okay, 
can't can't use the childhood as an excuse like i'm in full adulthood you know like yes. <laughs> how yes. can i how can i like grapple with the fact that there's a need and a desire there and i might not get it in the way that i want it but i have to like reparent myself or uh like recognize the needs or shortcomings that it's produced in me and not just continue down that unexamined but in terms of acting, I guess the combination of that dynamic and then also having a really hard time at Juilliard did kind of like set me up to have a very like uh, practical, detached view of this profession when I started. Yes. Um, and so I, I expected it to be difficult. I expected it there to be a lot of rejection. Um, and so I was not surprised by that. Um, and I think I've been able to recover fairly quickly from, you know, no's, even like jobs that I really wanted that I didn't get. Like, I, I think I'm pretty good at, at moving on fairly quickly, like letting myself be disappointed, get sad, but not dwelling on it. Um, so I guess it, that's been the good thing. Um, I don't know. I, I guess like when you're really challenged as an actor, though, it's kind of like we were talking about the personal essay. It pushes you into areas of your life where you're like, maybe this is underdeveloped in me. And maybe I'm struggling with this performance wise because this is like underdeveloped right. in me. Um, and that's where I'd say like a job like the show Love that I did, yes. even though that character and I don't have all the same problems. I think there was enough similarity maybe at like I, and I've said this in other interviews, like when they wrote the dad on that show, they wrote a dad that was very similar to my dad in certain ways without even knowing it. Um, and so that show kind of allowed me to like, I think, explore some of those issues through art, which feels like it it doesn't have the real life consequences. So, But yeah, it does, I get that. I, but it, it seems like your answer in a lot of ways, which is funny for someone who's so comically gifted your answer in so many things seems to be about gaining some kind of control over it discipline sure. control and uh which is an amazing coping mechanism but then you uh, one one wonders what you give up for for that level of yeah of tight control as opposed to being willing to be kind of blow you know to play free like in jazz you know I can, I can let it all go between action and cut. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I have a much harder time as Gillian in my life. So I, I, you know, I used to be very confused as to why I was cast over and over again in these characters that were so dis, dis, distant from who I am as a person um in their behaviors and the things they're struggling with like so far from anything i would let myself do in real life and then i realized yeah this is like a it's like a safe way to be bad <laughs> is that right like, yeah right yeah. It, it, you're allowed to be wild as you want to be when you're between action yeah. and and cut you won't you won't torpedo your whole life with your mom and yes your whole survival won't get to torpedoed right yeah. so you yeah. can do it yeah, so I think I think because maybe if I'm going back to like when I first started acting, it was like the acting class that I went to was the first time where I felt like socially I fit in and people were nicer to me there than they were 
um, at my normal school and I felt like I had some talent for it and that seemed to be recognized by teachers. Like that always felt um, like a good place. And that's why I also think Juilliard was so tough for me because I had had such positive experiences in acting yes. classes with teachers, also with directors. Like I had done, you know, equity plays back in Pittsburgh before then I'd, I'd been in a lot of plays and I'd had very positive experiences with directors. And so everything at Juilliard was running so counter to my conception of acting, which was like the place where I was good at something and people were nicer to me. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I have such an impossible, my whole life just had such an impossible time with authority. Like Juilliard would have been the worst place for me. I would just would have told everybody to fuck themselves. That's just the way that I basically always did. Like through college, I just didn't, I, uh, that was my own pathology was different. I just couldn't, <laughs> I authority, top down authority, especially in the arts, like that just drove me crazy. Uh, but, you know, you might have been really happy at NYU or something because of the way people describe that yeah. acting experience is so different, so generated by the by the kids as opposed mm -hmm. to by the, the faculty or the way that the faculty is positioned is somehow uh, is somehow different. But can I just stepping back? I, I have a question about um, ambition. When did you? begin to develop an ambition to live as an artist or as an actor and to and i'm wondering was it in your mind a, a way to escape like did you mm -hmm. think to yourself i could become successful at this like because mm -hmm. you know you do have this you're one of these people who though you're an artist you also do have a highly rational brain like a lot of us don't but you seem to also have a very rational understanding of the world. So like, and we're aware of money situations and if you didn't have, right? So how did yeah. you start to think about, how did you start to think about that? Um, Pretty early on from when I started taking acting class around like age of eight or nine, I wanted to be an actor. And my original idea was that I would be a theater actor. Um, and so I used to go to, the George Bernard Shaw Festival in Canada every year <laughs> yeah. with my family. And I would try and see like, you know, three plays a day. And they had, that was a repertory company. And so at that age, my dream was to be part of the George Bernard Shaw Festival. And then I was like, oh, I'm not Canadian. I can't do it. Um, and then, so that's why I kind of think the mentality I went into Juilliard with was like, I want to be a theater actor. And then I had such and a that hard kind of time. life. You thought that life would be good for you. Like I'll be a theater actor. I'll live in a small apartment in New York and that'll be a good life. Yeah, I did. I mean, I will say that when the actors from New York would come to Pittsburgh to do the play, I also recognized that they didn't always seem thrilled. <laughs> like to me, it was the coolest thing, the coolest thing that could ever happen. And not all of them seemed thrilled. So I, I don't know. It was like, this is clearly what I want. I think this is like the best thing that could ever happen in the world. But I also recognize that some of them didn't seem happy to be there. So maybe that put like a question into my brain. Um, and then I, but I really think the thing that shifted my thinking was that I felt so criticized by the time I finished Juilliard that I was convinced that I could not act on stage. I was a very 
I was bad at acting in plays. But because that school did not prepare you for film or television almost at all, I felt like, well, maybe there, you know, there's like something, you know, clearly I keep hearing that like film and TV acting is different than theater acting. Maybe I'm better at that. Like, and they haven't told me no in that regard. So uh, I think I'm just gonna, And once again, my very practical brain kicked in of like, I recognized that the theater in New York's a pretty small community. Like you can meet all the casting directors at all the theaters fairly quickly. And I would go out to LA and I'd be like, wait, in LA, there's a casting director for every show in New York. It's like a CBS casting director and NBC. I was right. like, there's so many casting directors. Like I have to really start auditioning. Like I've never seen the same person twice. Like how am I going to gain any traction? And so I think my practical brain was like, you better focus on this because it's like, it's going to take a lot more work to gain any kind of footing um, in LA. So you weren't trying to, uh, because the, the way that my pathology works is like, I would have been just trying to prove those motherfuckers wrong. You, that wasn't, you didn't say to yourself, I'm gonna prove them wrong. You kind of went, well, all right, they say that area is not for me. I got to find another one. So you weren't going to mm -hmm. give up, but you didn't have anger at that time at them. Or... Oh, I had anger at them. <laughs> I mean, when you're saying that, like, your response would have been, fuck you. I just started saying, fuck you inside my own head. <laughs> but it did, right. I did. Like, I did get to the point where I was like, this feels damaging. Like, this feels personal. Their criticism, criticisms of me, they seem to have, like, types that they want us all to fit in rather yeah. than realizing that each person is different and that's actually great because we're all going to go and have very different careers so i don't need to like be your epitome of what you think my type should be um and also i mean you didn't talk about this in that article but also you lost a friend there right didn't someone die when you were at, at juilliard my yeah my senior year um uh, a girl who had been in the class below me was, yes, she was murdered. And yeah. And, and so I imagine that the combination of those, of, of everyone there shitting on you. Yeah. And then this thing happening and you're in New York. It, I, I, I have to imagine that it, um, that it could have made you go home or it could have made you say, I have to find the thing that makes me like, feel alive as a human. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also kind of felt like I'd backed myself into a corner because I think, you know, uh, it came from an academically high achieving family. And some part of my brain said like, I don't have a degree to do anything but act. So this is what I have to keep doing. <laughs> right. Did you, did you, that makes sense to me. Um, did did you know that you had such good comic timing? Like you say that thing in the article you wrote that like you did the one funny scene yeah. and they were like, well, don't ever do that again. Yeah. But like, like you do have, I mean, you have these tools as an actor, Gillian, like, you know, you haven't, I mean, it's been, I mean, you obviously know this now, the world knows it, but you're, you know, you have that rare, exceptional thing. Um, you know, your comic timing is just kind of perfect. Uh, and, um, you know, t verbal and nonverbal, and and 
I have to imagine you write about your high school. You say you, you didn't have friends, but like, so was that all just going on in your fucking head? Were you doing takes <laughs> to your, like, were you doing takes to yourself? <laughs> I, I would say my acting classes, which were not at my high school or in my suburb. And it was like kids from all over the city of Pittsburgh. Um, and we had this one acting teacher who was really into sketch comedy and he would have us learn and perform Monty Python sketches. He played like the Groundlings album for us. Um, you know, he, I think was the person who really introduced me to all of that, like watching Christopher Guest movies. And yes. so I think with like that circle of friends on Saturdays, we're totally into it. Um, but, uh, I had never really done comedy beyond like learning dead parrot and performing right. it you know what i mean like um and i don't did you know want to do snl like did you ever watch no. snl and think i should be on that or no 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 i mean i i thought what did i think like i would have you know died to be in a christopher guest movie like i wanted to be in waiting for Guffman part two, you know, um, work with Catherine O'Hara, you know, something yeah, it, like it means um, you might be going to Broadway. Yeah, it's the greatest. Yeah. Waiting for Guffman's the best thing of all time. There's, yeah, there's nothing better. Yeah, I'm with um, you. but like also growing up doing theater, like as a true theater nerd, you're like, oh yes, a Midsummer Night's Dream. Like that was also my view right. of comedy. I was like one of the Shakespeare comedies. Um, yes. so. I think I just got to a point where truly I had just done so many serious dramas that um, I wanted a break from it. And I said, you know, to my representatives, like, please, can I start auditioning for comedy? And um, they they were like, okay, I mean, you've never done it. It's a classic thing as an actor when you feel like you have a skill or a desire to do something that no one's ever cast you in before, like convincing other people that you can do of it. Of course. Um, so you but, some part of you knew like were you a wise ass ever even at college like were you ever cracking wise in class or saying things that were or or was that really like i say just going on in your head mostly i think maybe it developed more the other thing i realized was like growing up as an only child with a single mom who didn't we didn't like we like my grandpa i had like a very silly relationship with my grandpa and we would tease each other but like teasing and joking I don't think I did that as much at home. So I really feel like it was like going and being part of this small group of 15 people in college where it was really like replicating having siblings for me that I learned a lot about like teasing and joking because I used to get like very hurt <laughs> when people would tease me. And I, oh, no, I, I, right. I had to like learn that that is how people also show affection and it can like kind of subtly show you things about yourself, um, you know? And so then, you had but, to like inside, you had to like outside in that actually, like you had to have the intellectual realization that people busting on, on me, they're not trying to hurt me. It's yeah. fun. This can mm -hmm. be fun. Like you had to actually like work that for yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that helped me a lot though, just in life too you know, with like, just realizing that that's like a huge part of people's social dynamics. You know? it really <laughs> I, is. I yeah. had it, it was underdeveloped skill for me. Well, you know, also like the fact that you don't drink and do drugs and you didn't, you know, that's something people smoke a joint and they fuck with each other or they get have a, a drink. And especially if you're with people and they're having a drink and you're not, you're, you're not catching that rhythm's hard. 
I would be so confused. I just have this very vivid memory in college of um, having a conversation with someone at a party that was totally logical and going great. And then suddenly the person was making no sense to me. And I had to go, oh, they're drunk. Because I don't, I still have a hard time recognizing like the steps along to drunk. You know, sure. <laughs> anyone who drinks is like, oh, they're buzzed. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. I'm just like normal, 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 incoherent. What's happening? That's really funny. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. It makes it's weird, right? It's like uh, you're trying to figure out the social cues. Yeah. In a way. It's challenging. Yeah. I've been on the other side of this, but like walk me through the process of getting cast in community because obviously it changed your whole life. You were a yeah. working actor. Yeah. Most people never are a working actor. You were a real working actor. You'd gotten leads in some movies. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't, maybe they weren't the biggest movies, but you were a working actor earning a living, living a dream, you know, living what people dream of living. Yes. But yeah. still the opportunity to be in the this show had to, you know, obviously it was a life changer. So completely. Can you walk me through like the first from the first audition to the okay. test to just walk me through that yeah. process? Well, so it really starts with doing this movie in um, New York State in the woods. Uh, Corey Stoll was in it. Melanie Linsky, uh, Dagmara Dominchik. It was an amazing cast. And we were all um, staying at this hotel with god awful Internet um, during pilot season trying to put each other on tape and it takes like 12 hours to upload a take and it was so frustrating that i was like as soon as this movie is wrapped i'm flying to la i don't care that pilot season is basically over like i this is so frustrating um and so i got there and um i read the script and i was like this is actually funny and you know how rare it is to read like yes, a never. network you know never. pilot that's actually funny and I woke up the day of the audition super sick and I almost didn't go, but I thought this is such a good part. This is such a good script. I, I feel like I understand this character because it, it's always that thing. Like when you're first starting out uh, auditioning for TV pilots where they're like, they just want someone who feels like they are the character. You know, it always feels like that's like a gap. If like, you don't feel like you as a person are similar to the character, even if you think you can act it, they're like, they just want somebody who is this character. You just want to believe it when they the person does it, though, is the yeah. truth, right? I mean, I, that that's the really way the it's, thing. Sometimes I think the way it's communicated to actors is like, you aren't personally this, so. That's ah, so funny. I was so thinking about asking you about this because like, which will, remember where you are on the story, because the okay. thing I want to get to is, I often think you wish people could go back and redo the first episode, because by episode 12, you're so comfortable in your own skin as the character. Yeah. And like, that's really what people in our position, that's what you're really looking for, someone who feels like they're just comfortable in their skin yes. as the character, yes. right? You know, yes. that they are, they're just wearing it. It's who they are. They're not putting it on, you know? Yeah. But so, so all right, to so go back to your, 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 they're saying they want someone who just is the character. You know, yeah. you're not like the character. Even though I'm not like the character, but I was felt like, I felt like I understood it. And then I just, I, I went in, um, I read for the Russo brothers. I can't remember if Dan Harmon was there. Right. Um, I got a call back and it's like that, that studio network day 
you know, where it's like you have to first you have to pass the hurdle of auditioning for the studio. So they'll maybe bring a group of five people in for a part. And so you go in. You all wait there together, go in one by one, and then you all kind of go sit in your car and wait to get the call if you've made it to the next round. Of you've, and you've already signed your deal, right? Yeah. You've already had to sign a deal. Yeah. In case you get it. In case you get it. Because they don't want you to have leverage. No, absolutely not. And so I got, I made it past the studio to the network. And then it was this weird thing where everyone from NBC was in New York that week. So they were like, rather than the normal network test, um, they're going to put you on tape. You're going to read with Joel McHale, who's already been cast. And, you know, the Russos are going to do it, um, put all everyone who's you know up for the part on the tape so we do that and then days go by it's the like Wait, you do that and the russos are directing the session yes and it was great and too because it was on tape so i didn't have to do it live in that awkward you know conference and are they room. are are you um how much do you want so you get past that studio i'm yeah. sure you're 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 sanguine at a certain point in the process because you're used to it but then now you've passed the studio piece and you're testing for network you know it's just you or one or two other women for the part, right? Yeah. Are you allowing yourself to want it? Are you nervously wanting it yet? Or are you okay? I, I was nervously wanting it, but I remember specifically making the decision that unlike other times when I would like tell my mom or tell friends that I was up for something, I was like, I'm not going to say anything about this one. And I don't know why I approached it differently. So in my head, I was like, I'm not going to tell my mom that I'm testing for this or I'm not going to say anything until either I get it or I don't get it. Um, so I think I wanted it in a different way. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I did it on tape with Joel, did it a bunch of times and they're like, great, the network's going to review the tapes and, and um, make a decision. And then, you know, uh. days go by. Every time the phone rings, your heart is pounding out of your chest. And then they're like, okay, so NBC just felt like the tapes weren't good. Like they couldn't uh. get a sense of people from the tapes. It's down to you and one other girl. They want you to come back in, in person, in the awkward office, read with Joel, which was also great. Cause you know, sometimes like it, it can be so hard when it's not the other actor and you're reading with a casting director, but it, it was like, you know, I, I liked Joel immediately. So, um, and you're there with the other actor too. The other yes. woman is there in the hall. I mean, I it's, have done this. Yeah, it's so awkward. Um, she was so lovely, like truly great. Um, but it's the most awkward situation. And they're like, to compound it, they want you to go back in. And then later that day, they're having a table read. So you have to go back in, but good news is you'll know almost immediately because whoever oh, gets the oh, part. Then you're doing the table read for the pilot that same day? Yeah, like hours later. And so go in. I read with Joel. She read with Joel. They had me go back and read with Joel again. It's that like, go to the car, wait, not getting a call, not getting a call. Drove to the place where I was staying. And then I got a call saying, it's 99% good news. I was like, not possible in a yes, no. <laughs> like, you don't have the part, but they've eliminated the other actor from consideration. So you don't have the offer, but you are the only actor in consideration, and they want you to go to the table read. But they've taken so long to get that call that I basically, like, don't 
like I'm going to have to speed the whole way there to get there. So I'm, you know, still learning L.A. I, I hadn't lived. Re- I mean, I, I basically Wait, so you knew say LA. yes. You say, all right, I'll go to the table, yeah. eat, even though I don't have the part. Yes. Then I'm like speeding uh. to get to Sony. I get there and every other actor there has been cast. They're so, in the show. Yeah, yeah. And they're all like celebrating. This sounds and, like a nightmare. And then Gillian, going, this sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, and they're like, oh, are you playing Britta? I'm like, maybe it's a possibility. Um, and so then they're doing the normal table read thing where the producer is like going around, you know, and introducing the cast and then, and then goes, and the newest member of our cast, Gillian Jacobs. And apparently I'd gotten the offer in the drive there. They decided not to tell me. And so I found out in front of everyone and I just started crying. Did you cry? Oh, no. Yeah, I started, immediately no, started crying. No. <laughs> and did everyone cheer for you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and had Dan expressed to you before that you were his choice? Like, did you know that you were his choice? I don't, I don't think so. I. I think it felt like it was all going well. And I guess the fact that like I had gone in and read with Joel twice and the other girl had read with him once that day, maybe I was like either either they think I'm right, but they're not entirely sure or somebody's fighting for me in the room and they're like, just bring her in again and give her another note and see if she can get, you know, you don't know what the when was it clear to you that uh, that your life had changed or, or not until the show was picked up? Um, I think I knew it was different when we shot the pilot because I'd done other pilots where I watched from the script that I first read when I auditioned to what we shot, I watched it get worse from the network notes and I watched it kind of diminish. And this was the only experience that I had where I watched it get better and also cast as the world came to realize was so incredibly talented incredible right and so that was a revelation to me because i didn't really know who you know most most of us were unknown so it was sort of like discovering how talented everyone was as we shot it and then i remember one of the camera operators on the pilot saying you better get a place in la um (laughs) in one of those like wizened uh crew guy like i don't say this a lot but this one's got a good feeling to it you better like find a place in la and because of your background i wonder and like having a you know mediate difficult situations and personalities obviously without this getting specifics you know one member of that cast is famously challenging to deal with and how did how do you function when stuff either grinds to a halt or when there's a difficult thing are you do you go into your own because this is i think useful just for people listening because like you know sometimes you're on set and it's like goes really smoothly most of it i'll say like we figured it out on on billions our set works amazingly well and on super pump too we got really dave and i because it's been such a long time that by now we understand it but we've all been on sets where that's not the case and so how do you as an actor think about managing, you know, when when there's somebody going, I just don't think, I think we'd be on the other side. And they're like, well, the, all the trucks are over there, so we can't go over there. <laughs> like, you know, well, I just don't think I'd sit here. And it's like, yeah. well, look, that's the only chair in the room. But like when you're in there, how do you, oh, you know, yes. <laughs> I mean, I know you know. So, well, what, how did you, as a younger person, how yeah. did you 
process all that? Um, I think a combination of like the the detaching thing, which is like a coping mechanism, but not always <laughs> the healthiest. You know what no, I mean? Not like the best one. No, yeah, not the best one. Um, <laughs> floating far, far away in my yeah. own mind. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't mean the one where you've been uh, abducted by a serial killer. That's not yeah. the one I'm talking no, about. No, no, yeah. But, but but functionally, like you're trying to, are, do you go into the uh, thing of trying to like lighten the mood or do you just go and try to just um, stay about your business? You know, at this point now, because I have had the experience of directing and being on other sides of the process, I see my role as an actor as very circumscribed, which is kind of freeing. So now yeah. at this point in my life, I just try to like worry about myself. Um, but yeah, like it, it is, I wish, I wish everybody got to switch positions on set at some point in their life. Cause I think it teaches you a lot. Um, really and does. at this point when they're like, they're ready for you on set, I like spring out of my chair and like, run, you know, cause I've just been on the other side of like, it's amazing how different time functions when you're an actor versus when you're directing. The days are endless when you're an actor and they fly by when you're directing. And so now I feel like I have such a greater appreciation of what this director and these writers and these producers are trying to do in this day, given these circumstances. And what can I do to help you make that happen? Yes. Well, you know, I know and the reverse when 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 I got when my friend Tony asked me to be in Michael Clayton and I my I you you're know, so good. First, thank you. It's very nice of you to say. But like, you know, having to play that scene with Clooney. So yeah. I show up and obviously been on sets forever, right? I yeah. know every part of it. And I acted all through college, but I hadn't acted since college. And I sit down at this table with George Clooney, who I hadn't, we hadn't made Oceans yet. So I didn't know George. We'd spoken because we'd developed, worked on the scripting, but I didn't know him at yeah. all. I'd only spoken to him on the phone. Like I didn't know him. And Tony comes up to me and treats me like, a, as he, he, at first he's like, all right, so you're sitting here and the cards and, um, there's a dolly. So like when you feel the dolly kind of gets you, that's you start. And I go, dude, I don't even know. I've played poker my whole life. I can't figure out how to even touch the chip. I go, I can't be, a, I have no idea where the dolly is. is. You got to treat me like a day one actor because I can barely keep it together. I knew my lines. That was it. And it gave me such a, uh, I am from that day forward. That's now 15 years ago. It completely rechanged the way that I talk to actors because it's such a hard job staying present and being able to manage everything you have to manage when you're in the scene. And Tony immediately got it. He's like, of course, I'll put a sandbag down when you hear the thing hit the sandbag, whatever. Yeah. Like it all made total sense. But I couldn't be the filmmaker version of me. Some people can, I find it a miracle. But I couldn't be the filmmaker if I also had to be this asshole at the poker table with George. They were two totally different things. Yeah, you know? and and also just learning as an actor, even when you have had experience, if you still are having the hard time sensing when the dolly is there, it's okay to just say, hey, can you cue me or can you put down his... Like, I think people feel like they can't ask for help sometimes or say, I don't know what that means. And I find, unless someone's a true asshole, like, they'll happily tell you, you know? Oh, and, and you forget, yeah, you totally forget how much shorthand there is too. There was yes. a woman who, it's her first movie, She's great, she's so talented. I mean, it's her first show. She'd done a lot of work as a model in um, her 
country and she came here to do super problems with us. And she did this scene with Joe, Gordon-Levitt, and, and everyone's talking to her. And I realized she has no idea that the stand-in is going to come. I realized suddenly, so I took her aside. I was like, there's all this jargon. There's a ton of lingo. You're not expected to know any of it. You can ask Joe, me, this person, that person. All of this is going to seem fast. And then in a week from now, it's all going to seem like you're going to understand all of it. Yeah. And you got to rem- like you got to remember that shit, yeah. you know? But for you on community, when the t- I just want to understand was it hard when the thing got fractious? Was it was it manageable for you or did you immediately just figure out, okay, well, I just have to still find a way to be light and funny? Um, I think the thing that really helped with that was that truly like those are some of my favorite people that I've ever worked with who yeah. did make the day go by. You know, like so many things happened while I was shooting that show. Like my dad passed away while I was shooting that show. Like Sorry. there were just, thank you. There was like, you know, I, um, but that cast truly was just something special. And so I think that they really helped me in a lot of moments. And then it didn't feel like, oh, I have to just go hide in my trailer, you know, to get through this. But, um, I, that, it was funny you were talking about solitary man with the 18 hour day 18 hour day was like kind of standard on community <laughs> like it was just also i've never been that tired you know of course. um and also our first couple of seasons we did 22 episodes and so it's just like months and months and months of 16 18 hour you know uh fighting daylight on saturday morning driving home listening to morning edition on npr after a friday yeah, yes, i know yeah <laughs> it's just like oh, so weird so many so many factors but then again also i think because i had i had been in pilots that didn't get picked up or um movies that maybe didn't take off the way I hoped they would, you know, I also think that we had a recognition while we were doing it, that it was good. And that was very motivating too. Well, I was going to ask you when the show became culturally significant, what did that do for for you? Um, when suddenly, you know, you become famous, but also like for you become famous for being a part of something that people loved and acknowledged was really good. How did that, affect you internally and how did it how quickly did you start understanding the ways in which you could deploy that Hmm. well i think i finally felt like okay i will have a career like as opposed to the feeling that i had up to getting community even though i was like you said a working actor it can also feel like this job could be my last, yeah, like sorry, you know, and it's a, like an undetermined amount of time in between jobs, and um, so I think it gave me the relaxation of knowing that I I would be able to work. It might not always be like at that level or something that connected in that way, but like okay, I, I will work as an actor. So I think that was a huge stress relief off of me, and then I really do feel like I tried hard to acknowledge in the moment that it was a special and unique show and that it's that's it's great impact on people was unique and not take any of it for granted like the fans of the show they created their own con um and yeah. i went to all of them um awesome. and there was like a fan art show that they organized that had art from 
around the world, people, you know, came in, they like rented out a gallery space and it was filled with fan art. This is complete, nothing to do with NBC or Sony, like all fan, I went to that. Like I tried to, I went to every Comic-Con, like I, I tried to appreciate it for that because that is not a guarantee, uh, no matter how long your career is, that is not a guarantee. Um, and you could just feel that it was beyond just making people laugh. It's that like, it's what you hope something will do, which is like make a hard day easier or provide a way for a family to you, bond or, you know, whatever. Oh yeah, you can do this for a long time. I mean, I've had it twice in my life where I felt like the, you know, and it was our first movie and then billions, you know, where yeah. like, I've, uh, like you, other things that have, done you know whatever done well and brought people to whatever but like a couple of times where you feel like oh this matters to people because and i really relate to this idea of like and and i was also like i worked and worked obviously dave and i had this incredible career but until at 49 billions happens i i don't know whether my place in all this is like a, a firm thing for yeah. you know what i mean it's a there are these things that change it in a way and that you have to try to own it. Ocean's 13, when we, I remember, you know, walking on that set, making sure that I reminded that had that moment with David, we have to know, we have to appreciate this. We are, we owe it to ourselves. And that has been my sort of like goal in the last couple of years is to also enjoy um, just like the process of making things. So maybe that's a, also an answer of like, because I don't, I don't want to like look back and go, oh, that was a good one. Oh, yes. that, you know what? That was a good time. Like, because I feel like then I'm never having enjoyment in the moment. I'm only retrospectively able to recognize a good experience. So I'm really trying consciously to be like, have fun shooting the shit with someone in between setups or like enjoy. So crucial. It's crucial. Yeah. Yes. So just well, like, like when you get a call from Judd Apatow and he's like, I want you in my show. Yeah. Like, do you make it like uh, do, creating space to appreciate that? Right. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm really trying, you know, and I'm not perfect at it, but like, just like enjoy getting to know the PAs or getting, you know, like it just all the moments on set that can feel like when you're acting, you are just like, waiting for time to pass or waiting for them to be ready for you but like how can i enjoy all these moments in between um so that i feel like i had fun today you know <laughs> like uh and not just looking back five years five years later and going oh that was yeah that was a good one a couple other things uh sort of related to this the other thing when you're on a long-running show uh like you were is you have the opportunity for some financial security and mm -hmm. and you know that's not something many people who enter our business get and the ones when you get that kind of thing it's like depending on where you are in your life it can be very jarring uh and and were you able to accept it like without guilt and figure out okay there's an opportunity here for me to protect myself for a long time I'm going to save and I'm going to like, how did you, cause you didn't come from that. So how did you process yeah. and figure that out? 
Well, you know, I'd had a lot of acting teachers who had told me horror stories about people getting like their first big check and like spending it all, you know? So I feel like I kind of grew up with cautionary tales around, um, around that and thinking like, you're always going to make money like this or because you're making money like this, you should really be spent. Like, I just remember being made fun of because I like wouldn't buy an expensive bathing suit. Like community what? was, uh, I wouldn't like, I was at some like fancy store and, and a friend was like trying to get me to buy this like expensive bathing suit. And, and I, I was like, no, I don't want to spend that much money on this. Like you're on a television show. I was just like, hey, this is all go away. Well, community just felt like we could get canceled at any moment too, for years on end. You know what I mean? But, so, but, but also, but wait, that was the other half of it though. But did you also, have you gotten to a place where if you want to buy yourself a car, you can, and you will? Or are you still freaked out about it? I, I, I'm both. I'm both. I, I think that's the best. You know, like I'm. I don't want to live in total like denial of any kind of joy. Not to get like to like therapy. Like, um, no. the the notion that life is meant to be enjoyed is one that I grapple with. Um, but no, that's what I'm asking. Do you yeah. give yourself like? Because no, like you 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 are at a place and you're you're not going to be a broke actor. So it's like, can you give yourself? the uh will you let yourself send yourself on a nice vacation no but ah. <laughs> really no i i can't remember the last time i went on vacation no <laughs> that's just so sick all right well you'll, maybe you'll have money left to give away or something at the end most people won't so no no you don't split you don't give yourself little gifts um I mean, I, I, I mean, it's a nice sound blanket behind you. Oh, you got, yeah. there's a beach shot. Yeah, no, this, uh, this, <laughs> I really decked out my closet. Um, I went all out. Uh, no, that's something I, I'm not great at. Um, but I'd say, I don't think, yeah, I should make progress on that. I mean, everyone in my life is like, you need to, you should go on vacation like sometime yeah you should spend yes the answer is at some point in your life you should decide i'm going to take x and i'm just going to spend mm -hmm. it on myself because it's not going to actually mean i'm a spendthrift and i'm wasting all my money and i'm yeah. blowing it all like actually probably a useful thing in life yeah to, yeah to yeah <laughs> or just sit in the closet i mean that's the other choice i'm not maybe that's not a metaphor by the way i think she's in a closet <laughs> Like that's decked out for podcast purposes. Let's talk a little bit about directing. Uh, okay, I gotta say, I watched your short, uh, the one that was on, uh, the curated. Yeah. And it totally creeped me the fuck out. You're a really oh. good director. It's really <laughs> so unsettling and uncomfortable. And I love that you didn't answer the question of whether that guy's dead or not, whether that guy's a ghost or not. It's great. Uh, no, I, I don't think I would have entered the house once the guy just repeated, I'm a curator. But then again, that's, you know, I make stuff for a living. So I'm, I'm, I, I scare easy in that situation. Uh, are you going to direct a horror movie or something? Oh, that would be fun. I, I really liked that. I liked that experience too, so much. And I think it was like, yeah, it really kind of took people by surprise if you've only ever seen me in community and then I directed a really creepy <laughs> short film. Um, I enjoyed that. Um, that would be fun. 
Um, do you want to direct? Do you want to direct a feature? Mm-hmm, I do. Yeah, I've been doing more documentaries um, I know. in the last couple of years, but yeah, I would like to to direct a feature. Yeah. Like, have you shown that? I think, like, I think if Jason Blum saw that, he'd like hire you to direct one of his his like horror features. Like, I think that's really, like, you did a lot visually with staging and the camera to create the effect you wanted you know, before they're in that room. Oh, thank you. Um, I just so, tried to yeah. rip off uh, Bergman. I was just like, yeah. Fanny and Alexander. Um, <laughs> Amy see. loves that. Amy's a big Bergman. My wife's a big huge oh, yeah. person. She she watches that movie like once a year. It's such <gasps> we an should talk. Movie. I, sh yeah, I, I just rewatched it recently to the long yeah. version. <laughs> yeah, I would walk into the bedroom. She's like, can we watch Fran? And I'm like, absolutely not. No, we can't. She's like, well, I'm watching it. <laughs> So I like walk through the bedroom and then leave and then like walk back through the bedroom two hours later and it's yeah. like it's halfway through the fucking movie. Oh yeah, I I at one point they were showing at the IFC Theater in New York like the version that where you have to take like a dinner intermission, and I somehow convinced several friends to come with me and sit there like four hours of Fanny and Alexander. I love that movie so much. Yeah, I mean, he's the great. I, I have a he's huge incredible person too. I, if I just, I just rip off different. I mean, he's like so many genres, so many eras, like so many. You know, you could just like from that to Seventh Seal to Seventh Seal. I try to recommend Seventh Seal to people, but like you know, it's so um, be, because it's what you made you would make fun of if you were going to make fun of Scandinavian art films. Mm -hmm. Like the premise is so ridiculous that it it it's very hard to say to somebody but it's the best thing of all time like you want to go listen just go for a half an hour and watch it yeah and if you want to shut it off or leave that you won't though because it's you the best thing ever you won't no but fanny i for me that one is it's just it's so unrelentingly just so unrelentingly dark yes even <laughs> though the guy's playing chess with death and you know death has to win and seventh seal there's hope in the movie. There's light in the movie and the other one like that. <laughs> Scenes from a marriage, there's no hope. Oh, yeah. No Shame. Hope. Have you ever seen his movie Shame? I haven't seen it. I'm sure that Amy's seen it. Unrelenting. <laughs> uh, well, Gillian, what are you working on now? Your podcast you're not doing. So what are you working on now? So I don't think I can say yet. What do you mean? Any, um. Well, I, I, the, I, things that I haven't been announced that annoying. I understand thing, that annoying but thing, like a movie or a TV series. Um, I'm doing um a part on the new Adam McKay produced show for HBO about the Lakers. I have a part in that. Um, Can't wait to watch that show. And I just did two episodes of the show I really liked called um, Minx. That's going to be on HBO Max. It's like about uh basically like a a feminist in the 70s who gets hired to work at like a Playgirl-esque magazine. Uh, so I did two episodes of that show that was really fun. Um, what else can I? Um, and something else you can't talk about. And something else I can't talk about. That's fine. And are you on social media? Can people find you on social media? I'm not, but my 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 um, defunct podcast has an Instagram account called Periodic Talks. And I made some like uh, STEM videos on there that i thought were kind of fun was stem facts so if you want to go watch me talk about like birds and various things like that well gillian you're awesome thanks for doing the podcast i hope people Thank see you, you in these shows and uh i'm gonna connect you with carrie bechet right after this everybody can find me on twitter at brian Koppelman, and see you next week take care bye